Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next 30 minutes, I'd like to invite you to stay with me. It will be 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, some education, and you know we do this without any manipulation, which means we don't try to sell you anything. This is not an infomercial. We are not trying to hustle any money out of you. We don't have anything for you to join. This show is simply about giving you accurate information, information that hopefully will help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. If you're able to do that, you can always orient and adjust to the plan. You're free to do so. You're free American. People paid a great price so that you might have this freedom, freedom to hear things like you're going to hear today on the radio show. And yet ever so slowly, year by year, freedoms are being taken away. Who knows what the next few years hold? We can all guess. We can all look at the trends of history. We can all kind of summarize what's going to take place. But like someone said, put a frog in a pan of water and slowly turn the heat on, and he won't jump out. He'll sit there until he boils. And Americans are slowly, slowly, slowly sitting in the pot of hot water until it boils, and then it's going to be too late. What does God need? What does God need from you? Why do you listen to a radio show like this? Are you a believer? Are, are you a Christian? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Then what's the plan for you? Why has God left you here? That's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to introduce you to a term that maybe you're not familiar with. It's a new way of thinking, but that's okay. Remember, the flot line is a show using military analogies. Flot, F-L-O-T, is a military term. It stands for the forward line of troops. And we're saying that you can build inside of your soul an invisible barrier, an invisible forward line of troops made up of ten unique problem-solving devices found in the Bible. And if you learn these and deploy them, in other words, if you use them, then you can stop the outside sources of adversity before they become the inside source of stress. Even though every human is subjected to adversity, all of us do not have to react with stress, and you don't have to. You never have to worry. You never have to be afraid. You never have to be bitter. You never have to be antagonistic. These are all sins, sins that you choose to do because of circumstances or people that have crossed you or alienated you, made you angry, made you mad. So you don't have to live like that. The Christian life is a unique way of living. It's a supernatural way of living, and it includes a supernatural power. That power is the filling of the Holy Spirit, and that's what our Lord promised when he left. He would send the Holy Spirit. Paul even said in Ephesians 1.13, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And Paul reminded us in Galatians that the flesh battles the spirit, and the spirit battles the flesh, and they're contrary one to the other, which means that we always have inside of us a royal battle going on. It's our old sin nature, our flesh, fighting against the Holy Spirit who wants to control our life. And the Bible clearly says if we walk in the Spirit, then we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
And so in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. This is not some supernatural second blessing that occurs two or three years into your Christian life where your eyes roll back in your head and you foam at the mouth and flop in the floor. That's not what we're talking about. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a natural thing that occurs the moment you believe in Jesus Christ. You're indwelled with the Holy Spirit and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But when you commit your first sin, the Bible says you quench the Holy Spirit and you grieve him. And the way you recover the filling of the Holy Spirit is to simply use the rebound procedure as problem-solving device number one. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all of our wrongdoing. 1 John 1.9 That's how we reclaim the filling of the Spirit. That's how we recover momentum in our spiritual life when we sin. When we sin, we shut down. And when we confess our sin, we crank back up. And sometimes Christians have to do this 10 or 15 times a day until they grow a little bit and they learn what are their areas of weakness. Where is it that Satan constantly trips them up? See, he knows your weaknesses and he knows your strengths. And I'm not saying that he personally is knocking on your door. Remember, he is not omnipresent. He's a created being. So he cannot be in Washington, D.C., and in your town at the, time, at the same time, he can't do that. Source, he does have demons, fallen angels that came out of heaven with him. And they are aware of what's going on with you. And you have angels that minister to you sent from your heavenly father. So most of our battles are really with our flesh or with the lure of the world and the call of the world because these things seem attractive to us. But if you can begin to grow in grace... If you can begin to build a flat line in your soul, if you can begin to be consistent in the filling of the Holy Spirit and to be consistent in the intake of the Word of God in your life, then you can be a part of the most phenomenal group of individuals called the pivot. The pivot, P-I-V-O-T. God is looking for pivot potential. Those of you who will stand in the gap as per Ezekiel 22.30, where God said, I look for somebody to stand in the hedge between me and the people to make up the gap in the land, and I could not find not even one. Could God find one faithful believer in the United States of America today? If the flood were on the way, would you be Noah? Would you be the one that God came to and said, I'm going to count on you to build the ark because you're the only righteous man left? Listen, I know you're a sinner, and I am too. We are both a bunch of jerks. I realize that. But we also know how to recover from our sin. We know how to maintain momentum in our spiritual life. And we know what relative righteousness is. That's us living the Christian life. We have imputed righteousness from faith alone in Christ alone. We're giving his righteousness the moment we believe in him. But then we have relative righteousness, which is what we build, we maintain. And these you may call good works or good deeds. And they're rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ as gold, silver, and precious stones in 1 Corinthians 3. So as a member of the royal family of God, if you're advancing daily, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're taking in the Word of God on a consistent basis, which 
I've implored you to do for a long time on this radio station. I've reminded you that I'm not a pastor, and your job is to get under a qualified pastor who can teach you the Bible. And when I say qualified, I don't just mean seminary graduated. Sometimes that's more cemetery than seminary. I mean a man who, number one, has the gift of pastor-teacher. Number two, a man who understands the original languages. And number three, a man who is not a cruise ship director. So many churches have turned into cruise ships. And so there's always a party going on for some age group on some level. That Listen, that may be fine, but that's not how you grow spiritually. The Bible says you study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The pastor is the teacher. He's the communicator. He's the man that's, that's supposedly gifted by God to study the Bible and make it come alive to you, teach it to you, so that you can then understand it and you have the opportunity to apply it in your life. And if you do that, then you are well on your way to being a member of the Pivot. The Pivot is a core group of mature believers that God uses to sustain a nation. Did you hear me? It is a core group of mature believers that God uses to sustain a nation. In the days of Noah, there was only one Pivot, and that was him. He was the Pivot. And we're going to take a look today at another man who made up the Pivot, and some people who were with him. But first of all, before we go there, I want to go to Joshua, the first chapter. I want you to remember that Moses has now passed away because of what happened at Meribah on the second incident when Moses struck the rock instead of speaking the rock as God had told him to do. Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. God reprimanded Moses for misrepresenting him in front of the people, and he told him, you will not go into the promised land. So Moses passed his leadership on to Joshua, and in the last year of the life of Moses, he wrote the book of Deuteronomy, called the Second Law. And then he died, never having entered the promised land. And when Joshua took over, reading now from Joshua chapter 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all of these people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel, and every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I declared to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all of the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea towards the going down of the sun, that's the Mediterranean Sea, shall be your territory, and no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you, only be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all of the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right 
nor to the left, so that you may prosper wherever you go. This is the book of the law, and it shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Three times God mandated him to be strong and to have good courage and to not be afraid. And God told him told him to stay in the word, stay in the law. Now we have the scriptures today, the Bible. We're not under the law anymore. We're under a new law, the resurrection law of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that. We're not under the law of Moses, and most people don't even know what that is anyhow. Codex 1, Codex 2, and Codex 3. Jesus Christ, our Lord, fulfilled the law. We're under the law of grace now. So here is an illustration I want to give you. As long as Joshua was in charge, things went great. He did exactly what God told him to do, but it came today that Joshua died. Joshua passed on, and things went bad. See, the first thing that went bad is as they went through the land, conquering the land, they did not drive out the enemy. The next book after Joshua is the book of Judges in the Bible. And Judges chapter 127 says, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshan and its villages on the Tanakh. And its villages are the inhabitants of Dor, and its villages in the inhabitants of Ibeam. On and on and on it goes. All the way. I can read to you constantly. Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Ketron. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akol. On and on and on. They knew they were supposed to get these people out of the land. They knew they were not to intermarry and intermingle with these people. And yet they compromised. Principle number one. You cannot be a member of the pivot if you compromise. You cannot be a member of the pivot if you compromise. My pastor taught me a word many years ago called syncretism. Syncretism is when a Christian tries to sync two things together that don't go together. Compromising is syncretism. You cannot mix A and B together. They don't mix. And yet Christians try to do this all the time. And so Israel was disobedient to God. And the Bible is very clear in Judges chapter 2. Reading from verse 7, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun died when he was 110 years old. And then verse 11, The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baal. See, these people that they left in the land, they were able to convert them to their religion, and they served Baal, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Principle number two, 
You cannot be a member of the pivot and serve another God. This is exactly one of the things that is happening in America today. We're a melting pot. We're a mixture of many different religions and races. And many people have forsaken the God that brought us all together, have forsaken the God that delivered us through World War I and World War II, and have run to the new gods of the people who have come to our land. And thus you're seeing today a conversion of America away from Christianity into whatever it is, paganism for sure, but also many people are becoming Muslims, Many people are moving into transcendental meditation and Far Eastern religion, people that should know better, thinking that this is the way to go. And this is what happens when we don't follow the order of God. And so, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who would plunder them. But every time God would raise up a judge, they would straighten up for a little while, and then they'd go back to the same Oh, stuff. Same old sin. Same old wrongdoing. Even God raised up a wonderful woman named Deborah. And you can read about Deborah in the book of Judges and how the land had rest for 40 years as long as Deborah was there. And finally, things got so bad that God raised up a wonderful man named Gideon. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the Terembeneth tree. I'm not even pronouncing that right. I don't even know if I can say it right. Terebeneth tree, which was in Oprah. We know who Oprah is. It's not the same person. Which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine presses in order to hide it from the Midianites. So Gideon's who we're interested in. Gideon was hiding his sweet from the Midianites. You see, what had happened, the Midianites had conquered the Israelites. And every time the Israelites would grow a crop or anything, they would come down, camp out, and they would take all their land, they would take all their food. i read it to you. Listen. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. And they would leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And God said, You have not obeyed my voice. I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the God of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So in order to deliver them from the Midianites, God raised up Gideon, the mighty man of valor. It's really funny when Gideon was given this phrase in verse 12 of chapter 6, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I'm not sure Gideon exactly believed that. But God promised in Judges 6.16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And God gave him a plan. God gave him a pattern. God told him what he was to do. And if you go to Judges chapter 7, you can see the plan. God said, get the army up. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon chapter 1, 
And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morith in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many with you, too many men for me to get the credit and the glory, too many to send against the Midianites, lest Israel claim glory for itself. Roughly there were 60,000. You want to know what happened? God said, tell all of them that are afraid to go home. And (laughs) I'll read it to you. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Wow. Here's another principle. Can't be a member of the pivot and be afraid to stand in the gap. And then the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many. Take them down to the water and test them there. And then he gave an amazing sense. He said, you know, Gideon, watch them carefully because the ones who lay their weapons down and lap up water as a dog by putting both hands on the ground and drinking from the river, send them home. But the ones who keep their weapon in one hand and drink water with the other hand in a cup, cup their hand in the water and pull it to their mouth, keep them. Principle number two, three, four, God uses prepared people. Prepared people. People that are alert. People that are ready. People that are equipped. And so God sent the rest of them home. And when it was all over, poor Gideon had only about 300. But it was these 300 that God used to defeat the army of the Midianites. 300 against 60,000 Midianites, and God used that 300 to utterly destroy them. We have roughly 300 million Americans If you take 10% of 300 million, I guess it would be roughly 30 million. Could 30 million mature believers in America, are are there that many mature Christians, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who take in the Word of God on a consistent basis, are there 30 million mature believers in America? I don't think so. I don't think we're even close to that. What about three million? Would you say there are three million fully mature believers in America? I don't think so. I don't know what the number is. That's God's business, not mine. But I know this, God's counting on you to be part of that number. God is counting on you to be part of the army of Gideon, if I could use it as an illustration. God's counting on you to be prepared for you to put on the armor for you to stand in the gap, for you to be part of that pivot. God doesn't need an army. He just needs a few well-trained, well-equipped ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So if you are consistently filled with the Holy Spirit, if you are consistently taking in God's Word on a daily basis, if you're consistently replicating the life of Christ by learning the mind mind of Christ, learning to think like he thought, if that's you, then you're part of this pivot. You're part of that 300, using that illustration. You're part of that group of individuals that God can count on 
to not be afraid, to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge. And that doesn't mean that you go around acting self-righteous. That doesn't mean you go around preaching and telling everybody they're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you manifest the light to a nation in darkness, that you are the salt that preserves that nation, that it is through your spiritual life and through your prayers and through your blessing by association that a nation survives. We are a client nation to God, and we have been for a few years. We do send out missionaries to the world. We are a haven for the Jew. We are the guardians of the Scripture. And we're about to lose all of that. If America goes down, which Satan would love to see, he would love to see this client nation set aside. That way he thinks maybe he can stymie the plan of God, but it won't happen. I can assure you if this nation goes under, God will deliver mature believers to the other side. He always delivers a remnant of his children. You might be in that remnant. He may take you to the other side and use you to proclaim his word. You are to be in the pivot. You are to be in that core group of mature believers that God can count on. You are to be one of those 300 that didn't lay your weapons down, but that put one hand down and had one hand on the weapon. You are to be the person Paul talked about in Ephesians 6, who puts on the armor of God so that he can stand against the strategy of the devil. That's you. You're that person. Now, I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if you're serious enough about your Christian life to realize the awesome responsibility that God has given you. Are you afraid? Then go home. That's what Gideon said. And 20,000 said, see you later. You know what that means? It means they're willing to let someone else fight the battle for them. Are you, as a Christian, willing to let other people fight the battle for you? Are you, as a Christian, willing to let other believers maintain your security and your freedom while you enjoy the gifts and forget the giver? Is that you? Or are you willing to forsake all to follow him? Are you willing to march into battle to represent Jesus Christ in the daily angelic conflict of life. I'm counting on you. I believe that should be you. I believe you're the person God is looking for. I hope you've been listening today. I hope you've been paying very close attention because you are very important. We stand on the edge as a client nation. We are facing unbelievable tests in the coming years. And unless you reach spiritual maturity, unless you represent Jesus Christ to your generation, the next generation won't have a chance. And America will be history. So, I hope you're listening. I hope you're one of the 300 like Gideon had. One of those that God can count on. He doesn't need 30 million. He doesn't need 3 million. He just needs you to be faithful, to follow him, to be strong and of good courage, because he will never forsake you. Until next week, this is Rick Hughes saying thank you for being with me on The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. 
If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.